Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia. And welcome to episode number 41 of the Latvia Weekly podcast. I am Joe Horgan, and seated to the right of me is my wonderful co-host Otto Tabuns. How are you this afternoon? Oh, hello everyone. I'm enjoying sunny, yet a bit cloudy. I think it's now afternoon uh, of this beautiful day. Yes, and we are here in Riga. It is Sunday afternoon. We're recording this episode a little bit early because I am going to be on a three-day trip with my family throughout uh, Vidzeme. We are going to a bunch of abandoned churches all throughout Latvia. We've been doing that all this summer because my wife is planning on painting some of them. And uh, so I'll talk about that a little bit in the next episode if you're interested. Uh, So right now, we are in probably my favorite spot in Riga. When people ask me, you know, like, where's your favorite place to to eat or get a drink? Uh, There is actually this little deck. It's an outdoor deck right above the bus station. A lot of people don't know about this place, even though I would have to say it has... I think, the best view in the entire city. Uh, There's a panorama, so you can see all of the entire market right here. Uh, It's right above the canal. There's like a little boat going by on the canal right now. It's absolutely beautiful. You can see the hustle and bustle of the bus station, all the backpackers getting on international buses or people, uh, you know, going, going home, coming to Riga from different parts of Latvia. It's very beautiful. And uh, it's funny, a lot of people don't know about this place. I, I, I just randomly found it. Yeah, including me. This is my first time over here. And the view is fantastic to, to see both the old Riga and so many fantastic landmarks of our capital city. Yeah, there, there's a tour group right now. We, we can see uh, St. Peter's Church. There's a tour group kind of looking down here. We can uh, wave to them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they'll see us. And then also in the background, I don't know if you guys can hear this. It's probably a bit too quiet, but there's a Peruvian pan flute band playing in the central market, which is something which, you know, when I first came here in Latvia five years ago, would have been very unusual. But now I hear more and more pan flutes in Latvia. Yeah, I think I saw the first one of those when I was 12 or something, and then I could practice the five words that I knew in Spanish uh, with the, uh, the flute uh, player. And it seemed that they're still going strong. It's nice to see that. <laughs> yeah, really uh, just shows that Latvia is becoming more and more of an international place, especially specifically Riga in the center of Riga is really becoming a very international city. Uh, speaking of Riga, so we are here, as always, to talk through the news. Uh, this was a little bit of a slower news week, uh, partially because it's only been, I think, five days since we last recorded, so there just hasn't been time for much stuff to happen. Uh, but we decided to start here in Riga with our story, since we're physically here and uh, we're kind of inspired by the ambiance of the city. And the big major story about Riga to start with. Now, for those of you who've been following the podcast, you know that we currently do not have a mayor in Riga. And when I say we, I mean Otto and uh, the other about uh, 700,000 Rydzenieki. I am a uh, resident of Yelgova, so I, we do have a mayor in Yelgova, but uh, Riga has not had a mayor since pretty much the resignation of Neil Zushikovs. There was a mayor for about three weeks, Mr. Dinas Torlice, then he lost his job. And right now, it is completely unclear when there will be a mayor. Uh, now, it, it's a very complicated, messy political situation. We won't get into all the fine details. You can go back to previous episodes to hear more about it. But currently, the major development is Neil Zushikovs, who was the uh, former mayor. He was the mayor for about 10 years. He has gone away to Brussels, is a European parliamentarian, I think probably enjoying uh, the ambience of Brussels, just as we're enjoying the ambience of Riga right now. And um, so... He is still basically leading the Soskina party. And the Soskina party, 
This is uh, when you hear about the party that specifically is heavily supported by Latvia's Russian-speaking ethnic minority. This is the one. This is the one that uh, often gets referred to as like the uh, quote-unquote Russian party. This is the party that has been the largest party in Latvian parliament for about a decade, even though the other parties have basically always refused to go into coalition with it because of their uh, connection with Vladimir Putin's um, United Russia Party, which they no longer have a formal cooperation agreement with, but they did for some time, and that was just a uh, non-starter for a lot of other parties. So he is still basically the major force behind the party. And he came out this week and said that he would support uh, their sister, well, quote unquote, sister party or stepsister party. I, I, don't, I don't know how we can call them. Well, temporary sister, uh, like a stepsister for some time, as they, of course, um, are not a, a part of a, um, a, a political union, but rather than an alliance of two separate parties. Yeah, and, and that is the party of Gods Kolport Rigai, which the two parties basically worked together for uh, most of Vushukov's time as mayor. They even ran on the same ticket in some elections. Now, he said that he would support Burovs, Olyos Burovs from that party, uh, w- who has been serving as kind of acting mayor, um, as vice mayor. Now, he, he would support him permanently taking the job if Saskinia got two vice mayor positions. Now, here's the problem, though. The reason why we haven't had a mayor, the specific reason, is now uh, Saskin and Gorzkolpat Rigai, they had a 32-seat majority because the um, uh, Riga City Council has 60 seats altogether. So they had a 32-seat majority until the election of Dinas Torlais, who, again, lasted for just three weeks. Then four members of Saskinia uh, defected. Then all of a sudden it was a minority government. And uh, not enough of those members are saying that they agree with this plan. Now, there is a little bit of a ticking time limit because... Yana uh, Conservativa Party, the new Conservative Party, which is the second largest uh, party in Simon, is the largest party in the governing coalition right now. They have basically threatened to start the procedure of um, dissolving Riga City Council and having new elections. Now, we, we've talked about this, again, quite a bit in previous episodes, uh, but we are getting closer and closer and closer to the end of August. So when Olives and I talked about this, who um, Olives Nickars is uh, one of the co-hosts who uh, filled in for Otto when Otto was gone, uh, Olives is completely convinced that there is going to be a new election. I'm kind of on the fence. I don't really know. Um, but but Otto, I, I know that you've also um, kind of been going more in the direction of probably that there's going to be a new election. How likely do you think it is at this point? Well, it will depend how they manage uh, this political market because uh, they need Gwodzkalpotriga to make the coalition. They would need uh, Saskin to make the coalition and they would need also some of the independent deputies to make coalition. And uh, Saskin would want to get the two vice mayors, as they have told, uh, but uh, the independent deputies do not agree to it. So perhaps Saskin is using this as a, a to for trading to let's say let one vice mayor go and get um, this uh, head of uh, some uh, commission uh, instead so uh, we'll see how it plays out and if they are not able to do so by August the 20th then uh, Saima uh, would be legally able uh, to vote on letting the city council go and that would automatically mean new election and do you think the other parties are desperately excited for there to be a new election? Because, again, a lot of the stars on Riga City Council, they've either gone away to Saima or European Parliament, but specifically Saima. And 
there is going to be another election in just a few years anyway, because the, the next municipal election is already planned in, uh, in the year 2021. Uh, so do you think there is a big appetite? So not only just among the political parties, but you, Otto, as a resident of Riga, is kind of, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the, the average uh, Joe on the street. I guess I can uh, put you in the role of right now. Do the you Riga think... Riga Joe. <laughs> Riga Joe, yeah. Well, now, now that I'm no longer in Riga. Do you think that there is an appetite for a new election, or has there already been kind of political fatigue after all the elections that have happened in a row in the last couple of years? Uh, I think for uh, uh, quite a few people, the appetite might still be there, and because especially for the parties of the opposition, it might be a chance uh, to get rid of uh, Saskin's domination, and for people who would support, let's say, YKP or Artisti Bepar or the uh, regional party, uh, for them it would be a chance to get a stronger position for them in the um, city council and not to have uh, to deal with uh, Saskanya. Um, uh, the least appetite, I assume, is for the independent deputies, because I do not think that they would uh, get re-elected, at least on the part of that, that they would have no platform from which to get elected to the city council. So their golden ticket is worth as long as this current composition of the uh, council is. Uh, for Saskanya, actually judging from the results of the European Parliament, and if there is this speculation that Ushakos might return from Brussels to run for the city council if there is an extraordinary election, then even Saskanya might not feel as uncomfortable uh, for an extraordinary election as it might seem at first. Now let's talk about Mr. Ushakos for a second, because because there's a few things to unpack here. So, so let's rewind a little bit. So as I mentioned, the Saskian party really has been based around him. Now, even in the parliamentary election, uh, which was basically almost a year ago now, even though he wasn't running for a seat in Saima, you still saw his face on all the buses. It's really directly connected with him. He is kind of the most popular person in the uh, the party and um, also very unpopular, depending on who you talk to in Latvian society. He's, he's uh, somebody that everybody has an opinion about. Yeah. Since he's very kind of obviously still the major power behind the party, is there a precedent for this that somebody is basically leading the party from a few countries away? Because he's over in Western Europe right now and uh, between Brussels and Strasbourg working as a European parliamentarian. Is this an unprecedented situation that you have somebody working in that role who's still basically so deeply involved in the day-to-day running of a major, major party in Latvia, basically the, the largest party in parliament? Uh, it would certainly be the first time when a party leader of um, any um, national Latvian party uh, would be primarily based in Brussels as a member of the European uh, Parliament or any other European institution. Uh, at the same time, uh, the organization of work in the European Parliament would actually allow him to do so because the the main activities in the Parliament where you have to be present are scheduled between uh, Monday afternoon and Thursday. So you would be able Uh, to spend the uh, uh, three and a half days in Brussels and then take one of the three flights a day uh, between uh, the capital of Belgium and the capital of Latvia uh, to come here and uh, be able uh, to participate in uh, all the necessary meetings and talks and uh, activities uh, required for um, all the um, local political exercises. So uh, I think that he would be able to pull it off if he wishes. Okay, now I'm going to put on my tinfoil conspiratorial speculation hat, okay? Because there has been a lot of talk about this. And there's been growing talk even among, you know, very legitimate uh, political analysts here in Latvia. Now, say there is a new election. Can you foresee a universe in which 
Niels Ushakovs comes back from European Parliament after just a couple of months and runs for the mayor. So, so of course, now, now here in mayor, j- j- just also to, to explain something real quick to people out there. It's not like in a lot of cities where the mayor is a position that uh, you, you have like a candidate that runs against other candidates. Basically, the official position is basically the chairman of the city council, but it functions as a mayor. So, so when we're talking about mayor, that's kind of a little bit of an informal um, p- position because there is no... Yeah, because you do not uh, elect mayor directly. You elect uh, the members of the city council and then the city council elects the mayor. And that usually uh, turns out to be the uh, leader of the major party. Uh, that uh, forms their coalition. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of like how, um, so for Americans out there, it's kind of like how a uh, Speaker of the House is uh, elected, something like that. But anyway, um, can you foresee a situation in which this could actually happen, where Niels Ushakovs could return from European Parliament after just a couple months and not only run, but, but get reelected as, as Riga's mayor? Is this something that could happen in this universe that we live in? I can see this happening uh, if uh, the allegations of corruption uh, still remain in uh, investigation and litigation. uh, And if it's still stalling and ongoing, I would see uh, it is a possibility that uh, Mr. Rushakovs comes back and uh, runs in the extraordinary election because uh, him coming back to here uh, would uh, not mean that Saskanya would lose a seat in the European Parliament if he would resign from uh, his uh, membership of the European Parliament, then uh, the next person uh, in the line uh, would step in, so they wouldn't lose any uh, seats there. At the same time, he would be able uh, to uh, try to get back the position that he uh, held for uh, almost a decade. So we will have to see. Now, um, really quick before we move on to the next story, a lot of people have been asking on the Latvia Weekly Facebook page or the expats in uh, Latvia Facebook group, which a, a lot of people listen to the show from. They asked the question of how was he even allowed to run for European Parliament when there's all these corruption allegations because he basically got uh, fired from his position by uh, Mr. Juris Putse, the uh, Minister of Environmental Protection and Regional Development, who uh, is kind of the overseer of the local municipalities. You know, first of all, how was he allowed to run for European Parliament? And how would he be allowed to run for the same position he just got kicked out of? Uh, can you can you explain that to people, why, why that would be the case? Well, it is how anyone of us who would be eligible would be allowed to run. Because uh, currently, uh, um, as I can describe to our listeners, uh, Joe is uh, drinking a kvass, uh, which is a, a very nice traditional uh, drink. And uh, Joe might allege that I have uh, drunk his kvass, and that might... Uh, come under the administrative code and just like the allegation of it wouldn't prevent me from uh, doing anything you have to then uh, go to the authorities and uh, get um, uh, um, a specific resolution it is not uh, the uh, judgment of the public opinion it would be the judgment of a court uh, that would then uh, create these specific consequences as of um, putting a person uh, in a detention or a perhaps like uh, preventing a person from holding public offices, which sometimes is a punishment in the cases uh, connected with corruption and mismanagement of public funds. And again, that that is the other side of a coin of living in a rule of law society, because there's two sides of the coin. One is that people are held responsible for their actions. The other one is that innocent and proven guilty. So, you know, and and that's something that frustrates a lot of people, because uh, there's a lot of ways that uh, people who seem very, very guilty have gotten away from justice for many years, but you know, uh, but uh, 
there, there's no perfect situation. So, um, so in, unless there is strong evidence and and uh, major developments in that criminal procedure, you know, which sometimes these things can take years, uh, it is quite possible that he could come back. Will he? I have no idea. We'll have to see. You'll have to stay tuned. Another major Riga story involving corruption, and this is one very near and dear to my heart because I just had to drive over this bridge a couple days ago. So, uh, so here in Riga. I can see kind of one of them from here right now. So there's a few major crossings of the Daugava River. The Daugava River basically splits Riga right in half, more or less. You know, there, there's a few kind of more people living on um, this side of the river than the other side. But uh, in terms of the area, it's pretty much almost in half. Now, there's a few major bridges. Vontu Tilts, which is the suspension bridge, which is going to be under major repair pretty soon because it really badly needs it. Then there is the uh, Auckman's Tilts, which is the uh, stone bridge. That is the one that connects basically right the center of Old Riga with Augen's Kalms. Then there is the island bridge, Salu Tilts, which lives up to its name because it goes over two islands. It goes over uh, Zatusala and then Lutzavsala. So uh, if you were at the Ramstein concert a couple days ago, you probably took the bridge to get there. Either that or you swam or took a boat. Yeah. Um, or or uh, you, you were living a couple of kilometers uh, beyond it and still heard it through your window. Yeah, apparently that concert, I, I, I read about this, you could hear an ogre, apparently. Um, you, yeah. you could hear it's far from ogre. And ogre is not close to Riga at all. So, yeah. so Ramstein... But I, I think those sound waves traveled over Daugo because the stage was right by the river and there are no trees and no nothing. So the sound waves had no barriers and is by the side of the Delga River. So at least there are some people who didn't have to buy tickets even if they wanted to. And actually, may- maybe people who went to that concert, maybe they are no longer listeners because they no longer have hearing. Because uh, it's, like, it's like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there's that one band where uh, you have to listen from like three planets away because they're so loud. Yeah, uh, or have uh, earplugs uh, to have your hearing after an event like this. Uh. Exactly. So uh, be careful of your hearing. Uh, anyway, we're going way off topic. So that's the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, the bridge. Solo tilts. Okay. So the island bridge. Now, that is a bridge that has been under reconstruction. It seems like to me the entire time I've been in Latvia because, and I, I know it's not, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it has been reconstructed off and on for a large part of this decade because uh, there, it turned out that when they reconstructed it, they didn't do a particularly great job yeah. uh, the first time. So, so it's fascinating to see that uh, uh, I'm now uh, a lecturer um, uh, and uh, they, uh, when they started the reconstruction, I was still a student. I'm not that tall, but still it seems quite a long time and quite fun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Knob, the uh, corruption, uh, the anti-corruption agency here in Latvia, they have started a criminal process against eight different people who are involved in this scandalous bridge construction. Um, and uh, so, so some of them are involved uh, with the LNK Industries uh, group, which um, which uh, helped build the bridge, including one uh, board member, uh, Yevgenis uh, Lotsovs, apparently. Um, so I don't know, Otto, do you think, because uh, it's, it's just so frustrating because this is like the major bridge, especially from Yelgova, uh, that connects, you know, the Yelgova highway with the center. Uh, do you think that there will ever be <laughs> a time when this bridge is, uh, I don't know, good to go for, for, for a long, a long period of time, uh, I hope that it is not connected with the ancient legend that when Riga will be ready, it will sink. So hopefully uh, we will not have to delay it just because of these uh, mythological reasons. And uh, apparently four of these uh, people who are uh, part of this criminal process come from the Riga City Council Transit Department. So I don't know, Otto, is, is that is that shocking news? Um, unfortunately, not really. I hope it would be one day. 
that's the major stories for Riga right now. Now I, now I see this freight train. It's a freight train full of coal that is crossing the train bridge over to the other side of the river and probably departing for, I, I would have to guess probably Ventspils. I don't know. Yeah. So, so I think it's also time for us to depart from Riga and look at some other domestic stories. Uh, except actually this first domestic story is specifically about Riga because it's about the University of Latvia. But the University of Latvia is on the other side of the train bridge. So, so, uh, so, so the metaphor still works. Anyway, um, so this has to do with a story that we've also been covering for a few weeks. So the University of Latvia had a election for the new rector. This process was very messy, and it had to be redone once already, and there were multiple irregularities found in this uh, process. And the result of the process was that uh, Mr. Indrichis Muzniks, uh, he was uh, confirmed to continue his uh, role as the rector of the University of Latvia, which is the major state university, is the largest university in Latvia. Uh, so actually, Otto and I both got our master's degree from the University of Latvia. So so uh, we're, we're both personally, I guess, connected with the story. So Miss uh, Ilga Shuplinska, who is the Minister of Education and Science from Yana Conservative Party, that's the one that we just talked about, which is the second largest in Saima and the largest of the coalition. Now, she has officially said this week that she is not going to support uh, confirming him because, again, since University of Latvia is the number one major state university, uh, even though obviously the Senate of the University of Latvia elects the uh, rector, they have to, the Saima um, and the government have to uh, confirm it as well. Now, she has said that she is not going to support his confirmation. And this is interesting. Because if you remember a few episodes back, you know, the Conservative Party was the referee party that held up a yellow card and said uh, that, you know, that the next time that there is a major disagreement between them and the other uh, the other members of the party, that, that there could potentially be a red card on the horizon. And this governing coalition, for those of you who haven't been uh, f- uh, following it, so there are five parties in the coalition, and. If Yana Conservative Party leaves, uh, there will either have to be some kind of new election or Zaldun Zemnyakusavnyiba, which is the uh, Union of Greens and Farmers, a controversial party, which we will not get into right now, who were basically uh, blocked from joining the coalition by Yana Conservative Party. They would have to come back into the into the fold, and that would cause uh, all kinds of. Uh, uh, very interesting political drama. Yeah, but certainly that would be a way for them back into the government because uh, at least uh, during the, some part of the uh, government negotiation it seemed that uh, YKP was practically the only reason why they didn't join. So uh, mm, it will be very interesting to see how this turns out and probably the the biggest deal uh, in this case will be the report or this uh, legal argumentation that a uh, minister will provide for the government because that might probably uh, serve as the mm, a key argument in any political discussion, whatever uh, decision the government takes. Now, speaking of that coalition formation process, which basically, if you want to hear about that, go back to the basically first half of our episodes because i think I, I don't even remember how how many episodes that was but but that but it was almost it, it was so strange when when we finally had a new prime minister it was like what, what do we talk about anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um. but but back then it seemed for a while that yana conservative party was resigned to and almost kind of glad about being a member of the opposition and being able to work from there there was this time when it seemed like that was a perfectly likely scenario uh, so again, 
how likely is it that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back? There, there have been there has been a kind of increasingly uh, wider gap between Yana Conservative Party and the rest of the government because again they came into power as this very strong anti-corruption party that was going to take all of these different actions. Um, so of course. You know, this would, you because know, obviously, like, the, the, there, there's something uh, fishy that happened with this uh, confirmation process. It seems uh, very likely that there was something fishy that happened here. Do you think that they would be able to explain to their voters this was something worth leaving the government for and basically resulting in ZZS re-entering the government, which uh, ZZS is like the, uh, is like kryptonite. It, it's green. It's like kryptonite to Yona Conservative Party uh, voters. What do you think, Otto? Uh, I think that uh, a strong stance from YKP might get them strong supporters among uh, the University of Latvia community, uh, those hundreds or a couple of thousand people who had a very strong opinion um, on uh, this matter, the vote over uh, Mr. Mojniks. Uh, at the same time, if that would uh, lead to the breakup of the current coalition and would have the ZZS come back into the government, I think there would be more people from their core electorate that wouldn't forgive them for giving up their chance of making a difference uh, um, just after they had such a good uh, start, such a good position and 16 seats in the parliament and then like to, to throw it up in the air just because of uh, a disputed election of a university. Um, I think many people would not understand them. It, I think it will be also m much more tougher uh, decision-making process on the behalf of YKP itself rather than the government, because I do not see Viona, Vienoti, Boratis, Tibepar or the other parties losing or gaining uh, much one or the another way uh, from their vote on this matter. So that is something the government is going to discuss this week. There will be a decision about that this week, and it's definitely something that we're going to be talking about next week because we will see what happens there. Uh, so, you know, whether or not that's our major story that we start with, uh, we'll have to see because uh, we, we have no idea what's what, how that... And I don't think anyone really has an idea how this is going to play out. Now, uh, this next domestic issue, this is one that Otto and I, uh, we, we talked, we've talked about quite a bit over the last couple of days, and we still are not quite in agreement about this. Uh, so Otto and I agree about most things, which I don't know, maybe that makes this podcast kind of boring because uh, it's mostly just us agreeing with each other, but we definitely do not agree on this one. Yeah. And uh, this is the issue of the delivery of printed press to rural regions. Now, the current situation is that Latvia's uh, postal service, Latvia's POS, they get a um, basically a subsidy from the government to recover the loss that they face from delivering different um, press. Uh, so, so these are magazines, uh, newspapers to different rural regions where it's quite expensive to, to deliver them uh, so that the um, publishers themselves don't have to raise their costs for, for delivery. Now, the question is whether or not this subsidy is going to continue. Uh, and it looks like one solution that they might have for this uh, situation is that they could even use some of that money that was promised for the new electric trains uh, that, that came from the tram, uh, the, the, the money plan for the tram in the Riga city to Skanste, which was cancelled due to corruption allegations. Exactly. So that money could be used uh, to, to continue the subsidy. Now, whether or not you know, I, I'm obviously a very big fan of rail transit, so that is a very uh, difficult decision for me to make. Um, but so, so I put this up for 
discussion on the Latvia Weekly Facebook page. And overwhelmingly, it seemed, it was over 80% of people uh, who responded said that, yes, the subsidy should continue. Now, before I even looked at the results, I already knew which side Otto was going to go on. So, Otto, uh, make the argument, why shouldn't this subsidy continue? Why should uh, either publishers have to pay higher costs, which could lead to... I don't know. So, so the publishers themselves are making a quite dramatic stance, saying that this could lead to the death of the print media in, in Latvia. I don't know if it would have quite such a dramatic effect, but, but make the argument for why the government shouldn't have to pay the subsidy. Well, I could see uh, several uh, points of why that should be the case. Uh, first of all, the question of the freedom of the press uh, and uh, the business model that uh, these publishers have uh, been pursuing. So uh, if they want to be a, a free and independent uh, source of news, then it would be very questionable how they are able to keep it up if uh, their survival is dependent of a government subsidy. So um, if that would continue, I would expect that it would be easier for some politicians to uh, exert pressure and to have uh, at least a part of the analytical journalism in these uh, uh, newspapers to be watered down. Um, at the same time, uh, we also have to think about uh, the way uh, how we uh, plan our development uh, for the country as a whole. For example, uh, I live in the city, I uh, get uh, most of my information from the media on the internet and I pay for it myself. Um, if uh, people uh, live in the countryside and would uh, choose uh, to do that, well, they understand and they would understand it better than anyone that uh, it is uh, a no romantic novel, like life is uh, tough and uh, the uh, living expense uh, uh, in a sparsely uh, populated areas, of course, uh, for many services larger than it is in a, um, a very populated city. Uh, so um, I think that uh, that is not a way that we should go, and that is not the way uh, how to achieve the greater public benefit, especially if the alternative is the train money, as we discussed. And uh, another matter that I wanted to discuss is um, that if we want to uh, solve this problem that we have to fight not with the consequences of it, like that being the uh, rather high prices um, uh, that uh, would uh, make uh, the publishers uh, go even, uh, but uh, rather some of the structural factors such as the uh, legislation, uh, such as the competition, uh, the, the way how, for example, some uh, municipality, um, um, public authority, uh, media and uh, printed materials are distorting the uh, mass media market, especially for the uh, printed newspapers, and uh, the same uh, tax policy uh, and uh, other normative regulations that would make the business environment uh, free and easy enough so that uh, any good material and uh, any good author with uh, something interesting to say would be able uh, to earn their living and uh, continue uh, such a model of business. And I think those are all very good points. And, you know, I think you make a quite a uh, convincing argument there. Uh, you know, I, I still think, though, that when it comes to rural regions, especially, you know, some of the regions that I drove through throughout Latgale, um, where, you know, especially there's a high percentage of, uh, you know, Russian-speaking population where there's a lot of, uh, you know, in information coming from, you know, other countries which don't quite feel the same way as we do. You know, it, it is important to, uh, for there to be protection of the press from, from the government. And, you know, a, a lot of these uh, print outlets, you know, they just wouldn't be able to do the journalism that they do and wouldn't be able to afford a lot of what they do without... Uh, subscriptions and 
you know, and, and the subsidy definitely encourages those subscriptions because otherwise it would be too difficult uh, for, for people to pay for these. And yes, you know, I know that you can also have digital subscriptions. It is more environmentally friendly to do that. But, you know, the, the digital subscription thing just hasn't been the same windfall for people. A lot of people have this idea that, you know, if it's on the Internet, it should be free and, and that's that. Um, but but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, I think... Um, you know, you, you do make some very good points. Uh, anything you want to add real quick? Yeah, and uh, I do sympathize with the issue that you raised regarding uh, the informative space, especially in Latgale. But uh, there perhaps I would say that you would have to make the accent on another direction because the way how certain countries are getting their uh, influence and their narratives through is not through printed media. It is through television. Uh, it is through uh, radio the, uh, and through like the digital means of communication. And here we perhaps go back to the discussion of the uh, Latvian uh, public uh, radio, public television, and the investment that it should have instead, the uh, public media, instead of subsidizing uh, what I think all of them are, are the uh, private uh, printed uh, publishers. And one thing that we can both agree on is one thing that has been very uh, toxic for these uh, private press, especially in rural rare, uh, areas, has been the proliferation of these kind of free newspapers that are published uh, by city councils. We have one in Yelgava. Um, Riga, I don't believe, has one. Do you have one in Riga? Because if you go to most cities throughout Latvia, they have these. The the, the city council print, uh, prints them. I know Ventspils has one. Uh, Pavlovsta has one. I think there used to be one in a paper format, but now, like, much of the information you could actually find on uh, either on the internet or actually sometimes even in the uh, public uh, transit, uh, like in the mini buses and on the buses sometimes you also see like some points from the uh, city uh, current news uh, advertised on the TV screens in the buses. Well, well, these free newspapers, they make it very hard for anyone to compete. Uh, and, you know, for example, in, in uh, Yelgava, we have Zemgalazinius, which is the uh, the kind of private printed press. They've had a very hard time competing with uh, Yelgava's local um, kind of government-supported newspaper. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we can both agree that, you know, we, we need to see these uh, go to the wayside because uh, you, they, they never say anything bad about it. You know, it's, it's great when you're when you're reading uh, Yelgava's Vestness. It's, it's like there's never anything bad happening in Yelgava. It's just all good things. It, it is informative, but it is, uh, I would I would call it informative, but I wouldn't call it critical uh, in sense of, like, uh, looking at both sides of, specific issues and uh, I would say that well certainly like in the uh, in the law you uh, the the municipalities have the right to inform about the changes in municipal uh, normative acts and stuff like that let's say like this changes in the uh, traffic arrangements and stuff like that but uh, for, for it to go to the lengths that, uh, that it uh, inhibits uh, the competition, especially in regarding to free press, I think that is not beneficial for the society at all. And those are the real issues that we would have to solve rather than the subsidy. Now, uh, one thing that I think is a lot less controversial, which uh, Otto was a fan of lower taxes, you will definitely agree with. So there is a uh, proposition by Latvian publishers to reduce the value-added tax, or sales tax, as, as we'd call it in America, uh, from 12% on printed books. Uh, so, Otto, I can, I can see you nodding, smiling. 
uh, I would actually be happy if they would cancel the tax on books and on literature because uh, for a society to be able to develop and uh, for us all to be able to uh, exchange information freely to understand issues more deeply uh, that would be very valuable if our opportunities uh, to read would be more rather than less and the value of the tax on books is certainly one inhibitor on this. So one more domestic story before we get into rapid fire. So Latvia's uh, non-government organizations, NGOs, they have come out against one Mr. Uh, Imans Paradnieks becoming the chairman of the Social Integration Fund. Uh, now, Otto, you have been around for much longer than I have in Latvia. Tell us a little bit about Mr. Imans Paradnieks and about this uh, confirmation process. Why is this controversial for Latvian NGOs? Well, uh, first of all, uh, Imans Paradniks uh, has been part of the uh, firmament or the constellation of um, a national alliance for uh, quite a few years and uh, has been one of the uh, brand fire um, names of the party, uh, also at times uh, becoming controversial by his statements in regard uh, to social cohesion uh, and uh, the multiculturalism and uh, other uh, points that, that would uh, be pertinent to the platform that uh, National Alliance or at least some groups in the National Alliance are very fond of. Uh, so um, there is um, no surprise that uh, some eyebrows were raised uh, after um, there were news uh, that he might become the new head of the uh, the Society Integration Foundation and uh, also uh, at least the way how the NGOs have argued uh, the uh, way and the procedure how he was selected or, or rather like the lack of a um, clear procedure how it was done because he uh, is the uh, advisor uh, for the Prime Minister on demographic issues uh, at the same time, the Prime Minister already has an advisor on uh, societal integration, uh, Mr. Uh, Hossam Saabu Meri. So it was strange why wasn't he uh, nominated for such a position. And uh, he told that he might not have enough time for it. So that's why the Prime Minister has uh, chosen uh, this um, uh, candidate. Uh, also, uh, the NGOs raised the issue that um, uh, all the participants uh, of this foundation had a specific procedure with specific criteria to be selected for it. And uh, the only person who doesn't seem to have such criteria is specifically Mr. Paradniks. So it will be very interesting to see the first meeting of the foundation and uh, whether this nomination, which seems to be motivated by the personal ambition of Mr. Paranics, will actually go through. And apparently the NGOs, they uh, said that they could also nominate their own candidate as well or propose their own candidate. They can't really nominate one formally. Uh, so we will have to see if uh, anything comes out of this. Uh, before we go into rapid fire, we should probably go inside because it is uh, there are some storm clouds on the horizon right now. It's become a lot darker. Uh, I felt a raindrop a second ago, um, so I think we should go inside. So let's take a quick break. So we are now inside. We are in our favorite place. We're, we, we actually moved over to the train station now um, and because I, I have to take a train home to... Yelgova actually pretty soon so uh, we, we have a balanced view like between the bus station and the train station we are very equal opportunities about it 
Exactly. So this is really going to have to be rapid fire because I think I only have like about 20, 30 minutes until my train. Uh, there's still a few more stories we wanted to cover. One of them is very good news, it sounds like. So the Latvian Council for Cooperation of Agriculturalist Organizations, they have uh, said to Leto, which is the Latvian uh, news agency, kind of like the AP, that apparently uh, the harvest is going to be pretty good this year. Uh, so, you know, the, the last two years were very bad for the Latvian harvest. Uh, so two years ago, there was flooding, there was too much rain. And then uh, last year, uh, there was drought. And now there was some worry that there could also be some drought this year. Now, last week, we talked about uh, roots of a county that they were requesting government uh, support. But apparently, in general, throughout most of the country, things are looking pretty good. So uh, so th- th- that's very good news to hear, I think. Yeah, and not only for the grain that we saw so much, even just uh, as those uh, trains, like with all those cars passed f- uh, from coming from Widzim and going to the port, uh, but also for the fruits and berries, uh, as for example, for the blueberries in some places, uh, I've been told the harvest will be up to 10 times better than last year. So uh, hopefully uh, the, the price will also go a little bit down. Let's hope so. <laughs> it's been crazy everywhere I've been like even in Yelgava the apples are just huge already and and uh, it seems like quite early because uh, I don't know maybe, maybe it's just because I'm from North America and at least in Maine uh, apples usually don't come until very late August very early September but they just seem to be not only very early this year but just massive so I don't know if you noticed this too Otto yeah th- they are really good and I think probably this is this uh, balance that uh, those uh, two previous harvests weren't very good like uh, some of these uh, plants uh, froze or like um, rot like due to rain or due to cold but so the, all that stayed in the uh, ground it uh, was uh, very um, uh, very fruitful and here we see the results so at least uh, some benefit out of uh, those situations before now one very sad story uh, this was from Bauska uh, a couple days ago so there are three people who are dead they are suspected to have died from methanol poisoning and uh, apparently there was a plastic bottle with some liquid it was found to have methanol in it and uh, it seems like that one of the uh, people who died they brought their this uh, liquid home from a biodiesel production plant where they work at. Um, there's not really a whole lot to talk about here, but I just wanted to mention that on the uh, Lotby Weekly Facebook page, there have been a few people who have been kind of cracking some jokes about this. You know, it, it is one of these things. I know there's like the Darwin Awards every year, um, you know, about kind of like silly ways to die. But, you know, just, you know, I, I did so many stupid things when I was younger. I, you know, I try not to do so many stupid things now that I am a uh, parent. Uh, but, you know, j- just try to have a little bit of sympathy because, you know, like th- these these were people's family members and friends. And, you know, j- j- just try to have a little bit of class about that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's certainly uh, a big tragedy, especially uh, as in this case we are talking about uh, alcohol that was uh, self-made. And so mm, even though there are like some places in Latvia that uh, do provide uh, uh, self-made uh, goods of this sort uh, you would have to be very careful by any homemade uh, production like this absolutely uh, now this next story which I find very very interesting so one of the pe- people ask me all the time like Joe how did you learn Latvian okay well you know my Latvian is not great I wouldn't say that it's like you know fantastic Latvian I feel like I should have much better Latvian skills after being here for six years but one thing that has been very helpful is watching Latvian soap operas and one thing that's a very common theme in Latvian soap operas is this uh, kind of plot where somebody's trying to get a 
forest from somebody else so that they can because forests are kind of considered like Latvia's uh, wealth because you, you can make quite a bit of money from harvesting the trees in the forest and half of the country is a forest uh, literally yeah, uh, more than half actually uh, uh, if you look at percentages officially and so this is a story that has actually come true now so there was a massive fraud um, uh, sorry a, a, a testament or will fraud out in Dogda County which is in Latgale it's a little bit north of uh, Daugopils, about 45 minutes north of Daugopils. Uh, I was actually just there as part of the kind of church tour my wife and I are doing. And apparently there was this massive conspiracy involving also some civil servants to forge a will of a woman who died without a will uh, so that they could get ownership of the uh, forest, which apparently was a pretty big forest. We, Otto and I were just looking through the uh, story right here. So Yeah, so uh, apparently the, the, the money, if you would like to uh, monetize it, uh, you, you could get up to uh, 200,000 euros, or at least close to it. So uh, quite a, a big chunk of valuable forest. So uh, it is good that the perpetrators of this are being brought to justice, it looks like. Um, speaking of a green way to make money, though, um, this is a more positive green way to make money. So there is a new industrial park that's being planned near Riga Airport, and apparently it is going to be a green industrial park. You can take a look at this on the English version of LSM. And uh, so apparently there's a real estate uh, developer. Uh, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce this, but it is spelled P-I-C-H-E. It's all in capitals, so I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce it Piche or or something like that, but they're investing uh, 2 million euros into this. It's supposed to be the most energy-efficient industrial park in Latvia, according to them. And if you take a look at these pictures, uh, which are very beautifully computer-generated and renovated, it's all gray and green, and it's supposed to look very, very green. So uh, this is going to be mixed-use office space, also uh, warehouse, industrial space, It's going to use LED lighting. Uh, The only thing I have to say here is that this is just kind of, I think, part of the overall trend of Latvia's economic growth and and also uh, growth in an environmentally friendly direction. Uh, I don't know, Otto, do you have anything else to comment on here? I think probably that's a a good investment, knowing that uh, a lot of uh, high-quality infrastructure is coming the airport's way. First of all, the airport being developed and also uh, one of the stops of the Rail Baltica will also be there, so that will mean a fantastic connection to the city center, so we can see uh, many companies uh, having their offices built uh, around the airport area. Now, one question also I get asked a lot by uh, people about Latvia is, what is my favorite place in Latvia? It is always very hard to choose. Well, besides Yelgova, I always tell them Yelgova because obviously Yelgova is the best place in Yelgova. Uh, <laughs> it's the best place in Latvia. Um, but uh, aside from Yelgova, uh, one of my kind of top choices is uh, Gemerli, which is a little village on the very, very kind of um, northwestern corner of Jormala. So Jormala, which is the fifth biggest city in the country, it basically consists of kind of individual villages, which are all kind of in this one line they together. Be, they used to be separate cities before, like Temeris, Luaka. Uh, um, they were uh, separate cities, but they were uh, united in this one resort town um, uh, in the last century. Exactly. But w- when you drive through Yormala, you still kind of feel like you're going from one little town to another. Uh, so Gemre is at the very edge of Yormala, and it is just beautiful. And this was um, one area that was very popular in the time of the Russian Empire, towards the end of the Russian Empire. There was a lot of health spas, resorts, and it has come under a bit of a state of disrepair in the last kind of half century or so. There have been many plans to renovate this very beautiful area and open uh, a world-class hotel. 
And apparently there is a new plan right now to do this. Uh, so I really hope that this comes to fruition. Still go to Gemini, if even, even though it is in kind of a little bit of a state of disrepair, it, it has a beautiful uh, ground. So there, there's actually this very famous uh, sulfur spring there. Uh, which, uh, I don't know, I, I always kind of drink from it there. You know, I, so, some people don't like that kind of thing. Uh, there's this beautiful island park as well. Uh, definitely go check it out. I really hope that this plan comes to fruition because uh, what Temerity could be is, is very, very stunning. Uh, you've been to Temerity uh, a few times as well, haven't you? Yes, uh, it is uh, uh, one of my favorite places as well. And uh, my favorite uh, place in Temerity itself is, of course, the uh, Temerity Hotel, which was built in the 1930s, the big white ship. And it was built by the architect uh, Asian Slaub that we mentioned actually in our last show. That was one of his uh, most famous uh, works of architecture. Architecture. And uh, hopefully this, as uh, one of the first uh, resorts in Natria, will uh, uh, get back the glory that it used to have uh, a century ago and in the 1930s as well. Yes, so uh, I'm crossing my fingers on this. Uh, last rapid-fire story before we go into international stories, and this is kind of interesting for me, both as uh, someone from away and also as a teacher. So according to the Latvian news agency Letta, so 6,003 uh, young people between the ages of 15 and 20 worked summer jobs uh, or were working summer jobs by the beginning of August this year. And what's interesting to me about this, auto is because I get the sense that it's not as much of a thing in Latvia for young people to work summer jobs. In America, if you didn't have a summer job, there was just it, it was shocking that like there was something like what, what's wrong with you you're 16 why aren't you working this summer it's just in fact a lot of my friends had after school jobs as well they would you know go home from school they'd do sports and then they would work at uh you know like our version of Remy um so for me this seems quite low but uh what, what do you think Otto? is that just kind of my um my of a take? Oh, well, uh, in Latvia, it's a little bit different story. Well, one thing is, of course, um, if you would have um, uh, parents or like someone you know that you could like help out or um, uh, join in their uh, place of work that would be appropriate for you at the time, uh, that was possible. Uh, at the same time, um, in uh, Latvia, I remember also like my story. I also got a, a summer job, but uh, uh, unless there was like uh, someone you uh, knew that you could work with, it was quite difficult to get in in the free market. And uh, uh, it is partially connected to the uh, minimum wage and uh, the the tax uh, expenses uh, that are created for the uh, employer, which makes them little motivated to employ uh, underage uh, high school uh, kids. Uh, because uh, as we calculated, even if for example between in Latin America, the, the the national minimum wage might be uh, relatively similar in absolute numbers. Uh, at the same time, uh, an employer uh, in Latvia would have to pay uh, much more for, for each person to hire. So that's why it is less popular. And this program, which is a fantastic program for young people to get skills, is uh, uh, funded uh, partially by the government, which makes, of course, uh, the employers uh, to become more motivated uh, to hire people because part of the salary is paid from the uh, taxpayers' money. And it's time to finish up this show with some international um, kind of updates real quick. So the major story this week, uh, some of you might have been following this, 
there was a Twitter battle. And when I think of Twitter battle, I kind of shudder because I, I think of my uh, president, Mr. Donald Trump. Uh, but this was a Twitter battle between Mr. Edgar Rinkevich, who is the foreign minister of Latvia, uh, has been serving as foreign minister for most of the decade, is one of the longest serving kind of ministers in Latvian history. Now, he has been battling with the Russian embassy's Twitter account. Uh, Otto, can you take us a little bit through, so what, what, is, what is the main dispute that they've been having and um, kind of what, what has been the result of this uh, Twitter battle? Uh, so the uh, central issue in this matter, of course, are the uh, mass protests uh, in Russia. Um, uh, like in the recent days, uh, we have seen somewhere between 20 and 50,000 people, um, as uh, different sources report, uh, protesting uh, the um, uh, upcoming uh, uh, election procedures, uh, specifically um, the, the uh, permission or the availability to uh, some opposition candidates to get to elections, uh, to uh, become candidates and actually to run in the elections. And so uh, there have been a massive protests in uh, Moscow and Petersburg and in other cities. And at the same time, many people, hundreds of them have been uh, arrested as well. And so uh, Latvia has been one of the countries that have protested against uh, these arrests and have asked uh, Russia uh, to um, uh, apply a rule of law measure and and, uh, not to uh, encroach on uh, people's uh, freedom of speech and right to protest uh, their uh, perceived um, endangerment of their democratic liberties. And so one of the persons uh, who has been very vocal about this is uh, Minister Rinkevich, who has always been very active on Twitter, um, even like if we compare among European politicians. And so um, there has been also a response from the uh, Russian embassy and a ping pong of um, opinions and views on this issue. So um, uh, this argument from one side and of course then response from the Russian side uh, which has uh, gotten quite a lot of attention. And I just want to mention that it seemed like for quite a while kind of in the first half this year that relations between uh, Russia and Latvia seemed to be kind of improving seemed to be kind of warming a little bit and also with the rest of the Baltic states uh, then there's this issue and then the also one a, a few weeks back which we talked about with the uh, fireworks display that's being planned in September um, now Otto obviously you cover kind of international relations much closer than I do but you know be, because of your job uh, do you think that there is kind of this backsliding trend right now, or or what do you think? Is there what is the trend in terms of relations between Russia and Latvia? Is it more in a positive or a negative direction um, as of now? Uh, I would say it probably stays at the same, uh, or probably as you rightly noted, uh, it is uh, keeping cold and perhaps uh, becoming cooler, uh, especially of the recent events uh, uh, in response uh, to these uh, demonstrations and the government's uh, crackdown on them, uh, as well as uh, gestures such as uh, celebrating uh, what in Latvia we remember as the occupation uh, of our country. So, um, and also we have to uh, note that uh, Mr. Rinkevich is uh, also currently uh, serving as the acting prime minister, so uh, we can surely tell that it is not only uh, his uh, uh, personal opinion or the opinion of uh, the foreign ministry, but uh, that also reflects the sentiment of the government. And uh, we have two positive stories in sports. Well, the first one is a little bit bittersweet. So, Alyona Ostapenko, she made it to the round of 16 of the Rogers Cup in Toronto. She was then eliminated by Murdy uh, Buzkova. And I actually looked up the pronunciation of this one, Otto. He's smiling and nodding. 
Uh, and uh, so, you know, she, she's had a little bit of a rough spot in her career the last couple of years, which I think, again, is very unfair. A, a lot of people have been uh, kind of, you know, saying that she was a bit of a one-hit wonder, but, you know, she, she's just so young. I mean, she, she's not even, yeah, I mean, she's still just in her early 20s right now, and uh, I think that's very unfair to say. Um, but very positive news. So Tina Grudenia in Anastasia Kravchinoka. Did I do that? Okay, Otto. Yes. Oh, wow. Two thumbs up. So she, uh, sorry, they won first place in the European Beach Volleyball Championship. So congratulations to them and bringing Latvia honor on the world sports stage. Uh, so that is it for most of the major stories. Now, before we go, I just want to take a look at the weather. Also, <laughs> kind of for my own selfish reasons, uh, I'm doing the weather for Riga because that is where a lot of people are listening from. Uh, obviously, the weather in Riga is not the same as everywhere else in the country. Latvia is big enough that there is different weather, especially you know down in Liepaja, you know close to the sea, where there is um, you know different weather patterns and further inland. Uh, but so Monday, when a lot of you will be listening, if I finish editing this in time. It's going to be a high of 23, low of 15, with uh, some thunderstorms later in the day. Uh, Tuesday, it's going to dip down to 20 as a high, low of 13 at night, a couple of showers. Wednesday, we could see some thunderstorms again, 19 degrees as a high. Uh, Thursday, it's going to get a little bit warmer again. No thunderstorms, but it could be a bit cloudy, uh, 20 degrees high, low of 14. Friday, it's going to get up to 21 in Riga, uh, a bit cloudy. Uh, Saturday, it's going to be partly sunny, partly cloudy, depending on the time of the day. It's going to be 21, 21 also on Sunday, but with some afternoon rain. Then Monday, next week, it's going to be uh, pretty similar. Uh, high of 20, some afternoon rain, and then some more afternoon rain on Tuesday, high of 20. And that should bring us into the next week. Uh, so make sure that you get to the beach at a time when it is not quite so rainy, but still pretty good weather. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of this weather. I'm 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 pretty happy with 20. How how, how do you feel about this? No, it is very nice, uh, especially after the hot and humid Delaware weather. This is fantastic, but probably we will see uh, quite a lot of rain in the uh, coming days or weeks, and perhaps uh, we might have a hope for an Indian summer in September and probably some more of the last opportunities to go to the beach then. <laughs> Definitely. So. Uh, again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. That brings us basically to the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, then you might enjoy some of our others. So you might want to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, whatever that is, be it Apple Podcast or Spotify, Stitcher, any of those. We are on all of them, pretty much. You can also go to our Facebook page, Latvia Weekly, where our fantastic assistants, Andrew and Carlos, are updating it every day with uh, different kind of major stories. So if you want to stay informed all throughout the week, you can uh, see some major kind of uh, stories or some interesting stories. It's not always, we don't always pick like the you know number one story of the day. You know, so, sometimes it's something kind of interesting that you might not hear about uh, somewhere else because we try to go for stories that haven't necessarily been translated into English yet by the major sources. Um, and then uh, uh, make sure to check out the website of uh, the Riga City because, of course, one of the events that is coming up, as Joe mentioned in the, uh, one of the previous episodes, is the Riga City Festival, uh, which will uh, take place uh, the, the following uh, week. And uh, today is the August uh, 11th, so that you have a term of reference. So check it out and find the events that you might enjoy the most. Absolutely, yeah. If you're in Riga, get out to the City Festival. So that's just about it. Thanks, everyone. Peace, love, Lucium. Peace, love.